Now, the Pac-12 had two major games against SEC opponents over the weekend that didn't go the way that we were hoping. So now the question becomes, is the Pac-12 going to be left out of the playoff again because of what happened this weekend? Let's go. Our Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Lockdown Pack 12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Conference of Champions. Like, comment, subscribe, wherever you're listening to or watching this show. I appreciate everybody out there who has done so already. We are inching closer to 1,000 subscriptions on the YouTube channel, which makes me very happy and very grateful to all of you and everyone who has done so on the podcast side as well. So thank you. And thank you to JT, JT Wistersill for joining me on the show today. He is the host of Locked On Utes. Everything you got for uh, the Utes, everything you need for the Utes, he's got over there. JT, not not the vibe we wanted to be rolling into this particular show with. I was planning to have you on for this episode either uh, today's show or yesterday's. And unfortunately, it's uh, today's because we tried to have a little bit of good news yesterday. But there's a lot of bad news and... That's a tough one. That's a, a tough. First of all, are you okay? I am okay. It took it took a night. I'm not gonna lie, because then yeah. even I woke up in the morning and I'm just like, oh, Cam, just that one play like that. And I want to make this extremely clear: that loss is not on Cam Rising. He deserves some blame, of course. He was not perfect. He made mistakes, like that final interception. And obviously, I would put the defense at fault more than anything else. But the fa- doesn't change the matter that on the final play of the game, Cam Rising made a decision that stopped the Utes from having a chance to win that one. So that was where I look at it just like, ah, dang. But it, it's going to be interesting to see where Utah goes from here. But I am okay now. I got through my ice cream eating. I watched some rom-coms and stuff. I'm over good. the heartbreak now. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Good. That's, that's very, very good. My go-to, if I were ever feeling down in that sense, would be only murders in the building. I am a huge okay. fan. Um, I finished season two. I am rewatching season one, and then we'll rewatch season two. Maybe my favorite show ever. But back Ooh. to the football. Yeah, it's really. Oh my yeah. gosh, it's <laughs> unbelievably good. I can't get on that tangent because we will get stuck yeah. there for no less than forty-five minutes to an hour. Uh, we're gonna get to a recap of the Utah Florida game a little later in the show, but the ramifications for that are what we're leading with here, and I, I think the question. It is worth asking after week one. And look, week one is more made for observations than conclusions. But from a schedule standpoint, you can start to ask these sorts of questions. Is the Pac-12, now that Utah lost to Florida, are, are they just destined to get left out of the playoff again? I would say, not. At the, look, if you had to bet one way or the other, it, the odds would definitely be on Utah and just the rest of the Pac-12 getting left out of the playoff. But they are not officially dead. They got stabbed, whatever you want to say. They are, their playoff hopes were wounded, but they're still clawing and clinging to life. They still have a chance because a one-loss conference champion still has a really good chance to make the college football playoff. But the other thing that's important about that is it's not a guarantee because if Big 12 teams take care of business, if 
ACC teams take care of business. And the worst case scenario for the Pac-12, if an undefeated Georgia and Alabama team meet in the SEC championship game, then two SEC teams are getting it. So the road just got incredibly harder because there will more than likely not. And look, the Trojans still have a chance to go undefeated, right? So they are the ones that still have a chance to be an undefeated conference champion. I don't think that's going to happen, and the odds are obviously not in their favor. So the Pac-12 still has a shot, but Utah has to be perfect. they got to run the table, perfect the rest of the season, and I think USC has to do so as well. And they can afford a loss to a Utah or a Notre Dame, but they're another team that would need some help as well because they are hurt a little bit by that preseason ranking, and they're going to have to really show some things just throughout the season as well to continue to climb and move up of those. But one of these teams is pretty much going to end the other's playoff chances. They very well could when these two teams meet in October. So the Pac-12's playoff chances took a huge hit, but they're not dead yet. Yeah, I think Utah would have to win out, which, yes. look, if anyone in the Pac-12 could do it, yeah, it'd be the Utes. It's not like everything about them in that game in Gainesville looked bad. There were a lot of moments where they looked particularly on the offensive side, like the Utah we were expecting them to be. They couldn't get stops in critical moments, and situational football just went the way of uh, the Florida Gators. USC is an interesting one to me because it's still it's still early, right? My preseason expectations for them was 9-3, and three, maybe 10-2 and two if they really get it rolling. And look, plenty of talk about the, the big win over Rice at home. That's a game that even Clay Helton w- was probably yes. going to win. Yes. Maybe he doesn't put up 60 okay. <laughs> points because I don't think USC has done that. I forget the the exact stat, but they didn't put up 60 points in a really long time. Mm-hmm. So that was noteworthy that you were firing on those cylinders. But they've got Stanford this week in a very compelling game in the Pac-12 uh, that we'll be previewing later in the week here on Locked On Pac-12. But USC, when I think about the teams that could get into the playoff, the advantage they have that not every team does is they have a schedule that could give them the pedigree and the strength of schedule ranking that could get them into the playoff, right? You have Utah, who still figures to be a very good team uh, this year with a good record, and at least in the top 15 at the very least. They could certainly be back in the top 10 by the time they play uh, at USC later in the year. You have Notre Dame on the schedule, who just went toe-to-toe with Ohio State, and that's a perennial 10 to you know, nine to 11 win team with really quality schedule. Like they have the opponent, you have UCLA too. That could very easily be an eight, nine or a potentially 10 win team this year. Not the strongest 10 win team maybe, but still like that, that's entirely possible. They're in that range. I think they have the schedule for it. And I think people are rightfully asking the question like, wow, USC look like they're firing on all cylinders. Is this a team that could get to the playoff? I think it's a little early for that talk, JT, but it is certainly something that has my attention at this point. And maybe it's me as a Pac-12 fan being overly optimistic that some West Coast team could get into the playoff. But if USC is better than we think, better than you and I think coming into this year, and they have a team that's that's actually playoff caliber, this is how they would look against Rice, right? Yes, 100%. And I'll say this as well. Look, is are the odds in great favor for USC to make the college football playoff? No. But if you ask someone right now, okay, so if USC is 1-0, if they go 1-0 the rest of their games, are they in? The answer is yes to that. Oh, yeah. So therefore, since those other games are unknown right now, they still have a chance to get in. Do we 
know if they're going to do it. Of course not. There's a lot left. There's a lot of questions. But one thing that is so key to that, not even, I already talked about the Utah game a little bit. The timing of that Notre Dame game, if they can win it, is huge. The final game to end their regular season, if it could cement oh, yeah. their place in the college football playoff, as well as then you get another ranked win because something would have to go really bad for the other team that USC would be facing in that hypothetically to not be ranked in the top 25. So that's another ranked win too. So you're set up very nicely for two top 25 wins, potentially two top 15 wins. And Notre Dame's got a tough schedule too. So we'll see how it shapes out for them as well. But I just love the way this plays out for USC. I think there's a couple of wins that wins that look very favorable for them. And then their tough tests and battles, they have the talent and the pieces that can definitely win it. So their playoff hopes are, I think, look really good in a lot of ways if they can take care of business. Still something hard that's to be like, oh yeah, they're they're in the playoff, like feel strong about them. And say at Utah, because there's so many changes on a new roster. But they got a chance and that's all you can ask for. Yeah, and that's the way that, that we're framing this right now. Important distinction from Utah looks like they're going to be a playoff caliber team. No, they haven't played anybody yet. I can't come on here in good faith and make that particular claim. I can come on and say they have a chance. And the Pac-12 is just looking for any team that has a chance yes. to, to get in. And you have to combine a schedule with a, a team that, that has the caliber of it. And USC, of course, has a coach and a quarterback that are good enough to get to the college football playoff and receivers that are good enough. It's a question of whether or not they'll be able to put all the pieces together here in year one. Is there any other team that could make a dark horse run to the college football playoff? I'll ask JT about that after I tell you all this episode brought to you by underdog fantasy. This episode is brought to you by underdog fantasy, the easiest place to spice up the college football season. They emphasize getting started easily and you can watch and win money while you watch your favorite team play. You can win cold hard cash in a single game. Underdog has investment backing from, get ready, Mark Cuban, boom, Kevin Durant, oh yeah, Adam Schefter, you might have heard of him. Very big time reputable sources and there's a reason. They've always been focused on building superior products and a fun user experience. Sign up with the promo code Locked On, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. So you deposit $100, you get $100 free. Go to underdogfantasy.com or find the Underdog Fantasy app in the App Store or Google Play Store. That's Underdog Fantasy, promo code Locked On. Get in on the college football pick 'em action today. So, in talking about teams that could potentially go to the playoff, um, you and I, I think, are, are going to agree here that from a scheduling standpoint with an ugly, ugly loss on the resume now, and because of how that loss played out and the fact that this is going to be uh, at least somewhat of an adjustment for Dan Lanning and company, I do not foresee, I did not before this season, and I definitely don't now see a way that Oregon could be a, a Pac-12 playoff team, and that's not good for the conference because that leaves you really with Utah and USC as your only two options and Utah might have to win the rest of their games and USC has to go from four and eight to the college football playoff, which hasn't been done before in one season. Like that's, that's asking a lot for, for either of those teams to get there, but those are the best two options, right? Cause I just don't see Oregon or maybe you see somebody else who could make a, a dark horse run to get there. Yeah. I think with Oregon, I think there is the dimmest of light left on for the simple fact of it's a week one 
thing, so there's time for the entire season to turn around. But I'll say this. Yeah. That's like the 1% in the 99 chance. They're pretty <laughs> much done. I just don't want this to be one of those videos at the end of the season where Oregon did somehow turn around and we say they have zero chance because they only have one loss. But when you go on the road like that and lose, we know how good Georgia is, but lose in that kind of a fashion, look, they're pretty much done. I just want to give them the slimmest of chance just based on record. But no, I don't feel like this team is in a good shape to make it. And yeah, of course, I still feel good about the Utes having an opportunity to get to the college football playoff because I look at it like this is a team that has a chance to go undefeated the rest of their way and can still make it in. So as a Utah fan, I want to feel good about that. Is it very likely? No, it is extremely hard week in and week out to prepare for teams and beat teams in college football. So there's probably going to be another loss that comes in along that way. And I'm very curious to see just how it works out, but <laughs> just gotta just gotta throw a stat in there to rain on your uh, timid parade just a little bit. No team has ever gone undefeated in a Pac-12 nine-game conference slate, which is what we have. That has not happened in the 11 years that this glorious conference has existed, and who knows, it may never happen. There may be a time in a couple of years where. That's not possible because there's no yeah. Pac-12. But anyway, we'll uh, save that conversation for another day. But uh, we're in uh, in agreement there. Um, let's get to that Utah-Florida game. Yeah. I thought the Utes were going to win going in. I thought the Utes were going to win when the game started. I thought the Utes were going to win when the game went along. And then they just didn't. And the irony of how they lost this game is it is a flipped script typically from what we've seen from Utah over the years under Kyle Whittingham. The defense trailed behind what the offense was doing, which aside from two sequences in the red zone, which were pretty bad, the interception from Cam Rising, second and goal at the inch line, and you can't punch it in and come away with any points. Those are bad sequences, but... To me, when I think about the game, JT, I do go to the execution first because that was just uncharacteristic from a veteran team that's returning so much production, that has a veteran quarterback, that has a veteran head coach. That was uncharacteristic, but the defense just couldn't get off the field when they needed to. And that's been Utah's calling card over Whittingham's entire tenure, basically. And the question has always been, when can the offense match the defense's production? They've finally gotten to that level. They have the personnel to do it. And the offense executes at a high level. But the defense in this game, I don't think they really had a signature moment. No, I mean, they had the fumble to open the game, which obviously helped because they were going to get scored on right away. But hard to remember back to the positive there when you look at everything else that happened in that game and just how easily Florida marched down on them on so many drives. Preceding that fumble on the first drive as well, four plays in a row where you got a first down. So, yeah, Utah was terrible defensively, and I can say that because I'm not the only one who feels that way. Kyle Whittingham does as well. Here's a couple of quotes today from his press conference on his defense. Defensively, we weren't very good. We were soft, and our run defense was abysmal. He said the front seven played sloppy. They lacked fundamentals, mentioned the technique, poor tackling fits, all of that. And the the red zone defense as well, all three times the Gators made it into the red zone, they scored a touchdown, something Utah was not able to do, as you already talked about, with those goal line turnovers as well. This Utah team missed far too many tackles, and it's 27. That's the number, 27 missed tackles in this game by this Utah defense that also one of the more underrated stats a lot of times when you talk about college games is, well, how much pressure do you get? 
Utah couldn't get in the backfield. Florida's offensive line was outstanding, and guys like Van Fillinger and Junior Tafuna couldn't do anything. And the couple times Van Fillinger did eventually get into the backfield, he couldn't take Anthony Richardson down. So, as Kyle Whittingham said, it was an abysmal performance from the defense. Yeah, and a disappointing one as well for a team that, you know, is the preseason Pac-12 favorites for Mm -hmm. a reason. They were my preseason pick to repeat as conference champions. I stand by that prediction because I think Utah showed – uh, a lot of good things in that game. They just weren't able to to execute. And look, I didn't have a problem. Here, here, here's what's most frustrating about it from a Pac-12 fan's perspective. And I've talked about the importance of that particular game and how much of a crushing blow it really was, in my view, for them to not have gotten the win. Yes, it was close and it was competitive and that's great and all, but you needed to win that game. That's yeah. at best, that is the SEC's fourth best team and your conference champion that returns a bunch of production from a team that was really good and should be again, not able to get the win, even on the road. It is not a good look, but the thing that stings about it the most is sometimes in any sport fans get frustrated at coaches because they get away from what they do well, or they don't put the ball in the hands of their star players because they're going to give you the best chance to win. You, you, you got to rely on what you do well. And Utah did that in those moments where they needed to execute in the red zone. And the part that sucks is that's what I would want to see from any coaching staff in the country at the collegiate or professional level. They trusted the offensive line and they couldn't get it done. And they trusted Tavion Thomas and he couldn't get it done. And they trusted Cam Rising at the end. I have no issue throwing the ball there. I'm a Seahawks fan. I get PTSD every time a team drops back to throw inside. I had no problem with it because I'm saying, look, if I'm Kyle Whittingham or Utah's offensive coordinator and I'm looking at a chance to win the game right here, right now, and I've got Cam Rising, reigning first-team All-Pac-12 quarterback who took over a year ago and put him on a great run and has just been such a leader. And he's, he's been the centerpiece of that offense along with Tavion Thomas. I put my trust in him and he made a bad decision. And that is uncharacteristic of Cam Rising. It wasn't an unlucky play. It wasn't anything like, it was a bad decision. Yep. There was some contact in the end zone. They wanted a flag, didn't get one. But even with that being the case, that was not a throw that was there. It should have gone through the back of the end zone and, and been thrown away. And that's what was so frustrating and gut-wrenching to, to watch was it was like Cam Rising made that. He, he, he saw that decision. He saw that as the best course of action. That's how it came off for me. How did it land for you? The same way. That's what makes us so tough is Cam got this team all the way down. I, I had texted you as soon as Florida scored that. A minute 25 with two timeouts is yep. an eternity in college football. And I've Utah got the receipts. Get, yeah, and Utah was able to get down the field because of it. So you get all the way there. You get your – Cam was the one who got them there. They weren't running the ball. And you even mentioned it as well. You trust Cam with the ball there because you have no timeouts and there's 17 seconds left in the game. So if you run the ball and you do not get in, 
I mean, you have to run to the line as quickly as you can because you're, you're more than likely not getting out of bounds. So you run to the line as quickly as you can, and you're trying to run a play, and that would have been on second down. They would have ran it. So then you have a third and a fourth, but who knows if you even have time for it because around that 17 seconds time, so much time's running off as offensive and defensive linemen are getting off each other. I mean, look, Florida got a 400-pound guy out there, so it's not like he's going to – if he lands on Tavion, it's not like he's getting off Tavion real quickly, no. just being honest. But that is what makes it so disappointing is Cam had done so many plays to help Utah win this game and then he put the final nail in the coffin to have them lose it in a game where he rushed for a career high 96 yards that's something that doesn't get talked about much in this game is because anthony richardson obviously was the star with his legs some of the plays he made but cam also effective with his you mentioned the offensive line this is an offensive line too that made a couple of shifts late in the week that we were surprised by but still held up for the most part cam wasn't sacked especially in the second half running lanes were there tavion ran it well and Brant Keithy was phenomenal for this Utah team. That's a guy who worked with the wide receivers a lot during spring ball to improve his route running, showed in spades. Linebackers, defensive backs, no one could cover him on the field. So such a strong performance by this Utah team, and it was an opportunity to make a play that changes the course of a program, honestly. And that's why, as we mentioned, you can talk about, like, hey, positive things for Utah. You can tell you, you can tell they're a good team. They played well in one of the toughest environments in college football. But at the end of the day, they're not a top 10 team or a top five team right now because they couldn't make the play at the end that wins them the game. And unfortunately, as good as he plays, that does fall on Cam Rising. Something that people have been uh, bringing up with regards to my commentary on these particular games is, and it's a, a valid point, so I want to ask you about it, is right now, to me, this loss looks really bad. Going in, Utah's face. Florida wasn't very good last year. Now, they did go toe-to-toe with Bama a, a season ago, and then the year kind of fell apart as it went on, and they clearly were not believing in Dan Mullen and such. But regardless of all of that, this is either a big missed opportunity or a bad look, or for me, I, I see it as both. But in a few months, like when the season is starting to wind down, maybe Florida is you know, more of a reboot than a rebuild, and they're a program that could certainly have that potential with Anthony Richardson, a quarterback, because he was mighty impressive if he continues to develop. But if Florida wins nine or ten games in the SEC this year, with that schedule in a couple months, this game is not going to look as bad as it feels right now, but that is an if, but what do you, what do you make of that particular line of commentary and how do you think that could play into Utah's hopes of getting into the college football playoff? At the moment, I don't know if I'd call it a necessarily a bad loss. I think I would use more so disappointing because of all the things you highlighted. I think it is really tough just to go into Gainesville, as I've talked about. This is differently than they have ever before to try to prepare for the heat, the humidity, that kind of atmosphere. The, the fans were juiced up for it as well. And you are facing off against a guy who I don't think is going to be in the Heisman conversation, but I think by the end of the season, it's going to be one of those 10 game changing quarterbacks at the position. So I don't look at it as a bad loss, but as you mentioned, for all the reasons as well, it's got to be a disappointing one because you are Pac-12 champion. You have 17 returning starters. And there were so many times, this is what we talk about with the missed tackles thing. There were so many times Utah was in position to make plays and they just couldn't make them. 
whether that's a guy breaking a tackle or just like you mentioned offensively, we talked about some of Cam's mistakes as well. Cause this was not a, Utah, a perfect Utah offensive performance, obviously, but there were just so many moments where you could go in and get the win that it has to be disappointing because you end up losing it. And it is a hit to the Pac 12's brand because no matter how you slice it, your best team came in on the road to a rebuilding and retooling SEC team and to TBD, how good they're going to be this year. But either way, with all that much talent coming back, you thought, Utah would be able to go in there and get a win. It's what led to me predicting 38 to 24, which I was obviously extremely off by. And a lot of other people had Utah winning by a touchdown or more as well. So it's still a disappointment because you did lose to a middle of the road SEC team. I don't think we'll look at it at the end of the season as a bad loss because look, this Florida team's got playmakers. They got some guys, they're well coached, especially defensively. There's a couple dudes on there as well. We're going to make some plays even in the SEC. And this loss could even look better for Utah a week from now because Florida plays Kentucky this week. So Florida goes in and gets another ranked win, and I believe they host as well. So it'll be another home atmosphere where this team is favored and does so well. I think that at the end of the season, this won't look like a bad loss for Utah, but it's definitely a disappointing one because the Pac-12 gave the SEC its best shot with the the middle-of-the-road SEC team at best and couldn't get it out. Yeah, I I think it would... We'll, we'll see how it ages, right? It might age like fine wine or it might age like milk. If Florida yeah. comes back and goes six and six again this year, it, it I, I think it'll be more how I'm feeling with it mm-hmm. right now. But if they go eight and four, nine and three, then you click, look at it and go, well, that's a pretty solid, re- respectable team. Uh, but time will tell. Speaking of the uh, Pac-12 generally speaking, or transitioning to it rather, I should say, because I was just talking about the SEC. Uh, what did you make of the rest of the action that we saw in the Pac-12 over uh, the weekend? USC had a big win against uh, Rice, which you know I don't know why they, I don't know why it's called Rice. It's probably name of a person. Yeah, I, I imagine I I really don't know, but your school's name is a type of food. Generally, you're not going to win too many football games, but Oregon State was a big winner this weekend. Arizona, maybe the biggest surprise, talked about them a lot yesterday. Uh, what did you see around uh, the conference, and what stood out to you the most? Yeah, I think that's it. Arizona and Oregon State, those were teams that get in, go in and get non-conference wins against two very good opponents as well. So I was very impressed with their ability to show up, step up. And these are teams that, of course, have had it tough in the Pac-12, and we didn't even we didn't know how those teams were going to be coming into this year. Yes, you had good good year or season to go if you're Oregon State and Arizona it was a bad year and you're recruiting some talent in there, but can you gut it out and get the win this week? And they were able to do it, maybe showing signs that they're a little ahead in their rebuild as well. And this is an Arizona team that did it on the road as well in an extremely hot California stadium. I don't know if you guys saw some of the stuff there, but the new Aztec stadium is extremely difficult to play and because of some of that heat and the way it's structured as well. It's so open that None of the heat is none of the field is shaded at all. So middle of the day, that's a hot environment, which we know Arizona is used to, of course, in the summer. Yeah. But still, <laughs> I was going to say, up, I think that yeah. that probably felt pretty comfortable for the kids yeah. that are practicing in Tucson, man. <laughs> very true, very true. And uh, but just the Oregon State as well. It's a Beavers team that last year had some really good moments. They knocked off Utah, the only team to beat this incarnation of the Utes in the Pac-12 a season ago with Cam Rising at the helm. And I was impressed by them as well. So it was at the end of the day, it's going to be a loss of a weekend for the conference because of its failures versus the SEC. And more so than anything, obviously, Utah losing. And just the fashion in which Oregon lost in a game I think a lot of us thought would be more competitive. But definitely a lot of positives for this weekend that gets you excited about the Pac-12 slate to come. 
Yeah, and, and plenty of fascinating games we'll be getting to later in the week to watch uh, this weekend. Most notably, USC's first Power 5 opponent under Lincoln Riley in Stanford when they travel to Palo Alto. I like the Trojans in that one. We'll talk about it more a little later in the week. But that is uh, it for today. And JT Wistersill of Lockdown Utes came on to join me. Always appreciate the time that you take to talk to everybody about all things Utes and beyond in our beloved Conference of Champions. JT, good to see you, my man. Good to see you. Appreciate everyone listening. See you next time. And as always, have a wonderful rest of your day.